This is a Woodside Church podcast. I'd welcome Adam. He's going to be sharing God's word with us today. Oh, how are we working? Morning. How are we all doing? Yeah? The energy in the room is electric. Electric. I feel that Christmas spirit in the room. Right. Okay. How are we? Great. Great. Right. I'm preaching this morning. Preaching this morning on the story of uh, Elizabeth and Mary. Now, if you've got Bibles on your phones, uh, feel free to get them out because we are going to be looking at the Word of God and probably go through quite a few verses. It'd be quite useful to have them because some of the verses are don't all, aren't all in the um, the presentation. So if you've got them, great, but also, you know, but if you could refrain from checking your fancy football team, that would also be equally as good. So uh, I'm going to lead us through this morning um, a talk really all about how people need people. I mean, that's the root of this whole preach this morning. It's all about how people need people. So when you go out like from here this morning and someone says, oh, what was the preach about? Uh, you can just say, oh, people need people. That's all you need to know. If you take that away from this, then jackpot, we've got it. Brilliant. Excellent. So we're going to go straight into the Word of God. If you could turn to the book of Luke, that would be good. Luke 1. That's in the New Testament if you're a guest here. Um, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke. Third book in the New Testament. Uh, so if you want to turn to that, if you've got a phone, it's a little bit different. And we're going to read from... Uh, we've got a little bit of reading to do this morning. So we're going to read from ch- verse 5, chapter 1, verse 5, and then we're going to dot around a little bit. So I'm going to read this first bit. I think the second bit is actually on the slide. So here we go. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. So this man, Zechariah, this is the first person we encounter here. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So we've got this guy, Zechariah, Zechariah, however you want to pronounce it, and he has a wife called Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God. They were good people, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord, but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years, which is a polite biblical way of saying they were old. Okay, Elizabeth was barren. Elizabeth, Zechariah, Elizabeth is barren. She cannot have children. She wanted children. Um, she could not have children. And while he was serving as, as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were, were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Angels, whenever you really see angels, most of the time in the Bible, whenever they appear, most people are afraid. This is a common thing, a common theme in the Bible. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayers have been heard, and your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. So this is how we know Elizabeth and Zechariah both wanted children. They had been clearly praying for children. They had lived holy, blameless lives, and they had desperately wanted children. And this angel's finally come down and said, yep, it's going to happen. 
And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn, this bit's very important, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. So Zechariah then just moving on, kind of got a little bit confused about this, didn't quite believe what was happening. So the angel said, well, okay, well, you're not going to be able to talk now. You're not going to be able to speak now for a little while until this baby's born. Okay? So Zechariah now is kind of a little, he's not talking. We move on to chapter, to verse 24. And after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. So Elizabeth conceives a child in the natural way with Zechariah. And she, from being barren, is now with child. And his name, the angel has said, is going to be John. Then we move forward. We move forward, still still chapter 1, and we move forward to verse 39. And this is now, it's kind of like scene 2. So that was like scene 1 in the temple, uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah. Scene 2 now is with Mary. We all know Mary, the mother of Jesus. Um, Oh, hang on, no, just bear with me a second. There's a little bit more that I just need to read there. It's not on my notes. So... Yeah, so here we go. 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her. So this angel goes to Mary and says, Greetings, O favoured one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. So this angel again has the same response. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of, of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom there will know no end end okay then so then so this angel has now come to Mary so the difference being here Elizabeth and Zechariah they have they have now with child but that is a very natural conception Mary and Joseph is a very unique conception this is a conceived of God this is not conceived in the same way that you and I would know conception amongst men and women this is conceived of God through the Holy Spirit Then moves on to verse 39. It says this, A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leapt within her and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honoured that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. So Mary with child and Elizabeth with child, Mary then goes to Elizabeth. Okay? Mary is told about Elizabeth's conception, and Mary, I, think, I mean, I think they're cousins, then goes to Elizabeth. Okay? 
has this encounter where, they, where what's just been said has been said. And then Mary's um, response is this. Mary responded, Oh, how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl. And from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy and he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes, uh, uh, princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. He has helped his servant Israel and, remem- and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. And then 36, and then sorry, 56, Mary stayed with Elizabeth about three months and then went back to her own home. So my first point today is this, is that people need people. Let's put the Bible on. Now, everywhere you look in God's word, this is a theme that comes completely through all of the Old and New Testament. It's a theme that runs consistently through the Bible. You see a picture of this right at the start in the Trinity. So we have, if, you're, if we're a Christian here, if you did not know, Christians believe in what's called a triune God. We believe in a God that is three parts, but one God. But each of those distinct parts is also God. God in himself is three distinct parts. Father, Holy Spirit, and the Son. God in his nature is community. In his very likeness, this is who God is. God is never alone. Sometimes you hear that. You know, it must be lonely being God. It's not lonely being God because God isn't lonely. There are three parts to this God, to our God. It's a wonderful picture of community. You see this picture of people needing people and creation is built in this order. When you, when you look at creation, so God created the animals, created male and female which means the birds have community. It means that dogs have some sort of community. It's strange preaching about dogs, but I'm just going to indulge me a little bit. When I was younger, we used to, my mum, we used to to breed dogs. We had little Yorkshire Terriers. Used to keep me up at night. My My house, my bedroom was in the garage. Not in the garage, that would be a little bit weird, but next to the garage, the dogs used to be kept in the garage. We'd have about eight Yorkshire Terriers at one point, and, you know, all this kind of thing. We used to breed these Yorkshire Terriers. And it's interesting, if any of you have got dogs, when we, so we had dogs for about 10, 15 years, and dogs would come and dogs would die and all this kind of stuff. But when one of our dogs would die, the other dogs would grieve. I don't know if you've seen this. Like, they grieved the loss of a dog in their community. Dogs grieve. In some sense, they do. If we took a dog away for a little while, sometimes dogs stayed with my granny who also bred Yorkshire Terriers. If they'd come back, it was like, oh my goodness. If you've ever seen a dog who's been apart from other dogs or even his family for a little while, it's like crazy. Like we, if you put them in like a kennel or something, like as soon as you bring them back in the house, the dogs will just go, will go nuts. Look at oh, what's going on, like running around, like, woo, 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 like all this kind of stuff because they're so excited to be back amongst a family and back, back amongst their dogs. That's strange, I know, but we can see this sense of community just hardwired into creation. It's not just with us. 
It's bigger than that. It's broader than that. You've got to see that. Uh, you see it in the pinnacle of God's creation, in us. He makes Adam first and from the dust looks at him and says this very significant line. It's not good for man to be alone. Adam had just been walking with God in the garden. Like they'd walked together. You read creation. Adam and God had walked in the garden. God's saying, it's not good for this man to be alone. But yeah, God. How, how does that work? So God, in response to this, and this wasn't a surprise to God, creates Eve, takes him from Adam's rib, and we have the start of the first community of God's people. And because of Eve, Adam is no longer alone. And Eve is not alone. Jesus was born to a mother and a father, an earthly mother and a father. He had brothers and friends. Jesus in his human form was not alone, even though he had God. And the reason why this is is significant, because it means this. It means that we can have a relationship with God and still feel alone. That is the reality. Sometimes I hear this saying, and I find it a little bit reductive. I mean, Connie will, it's one of the things that gets me a little bit kind of, you know, I get quite, not cross, but almost a bit of righteous anger about it. All you need is God. This phrase, all you need is God. You'll be all right if you just have God. You know, on a lot of levels, that is true. He's the only one that can forgive. And he has this glorious character that is committed to you in a way that is remarkable and profound and in a way that man cannot replace. But you need more than just God. We need people. We need other humans. We need community. Now let me be clear. None of this points towards the limitation of God's power or indeed the relationship we have with him, but it points to the nature of his creation. It is the way we are designed. The very nature of God is triune, community. We are created in his image. That is not just a visual image. Sometimes we can interpret it that way. Are we created in God's image? Two arms, two legs. We don't know that. You see it in Jesus, yes, absolutely. But we can take that verse and think, okay, so that means there's a physical representation. But it's more than that. God is community. That is how we are built. We are hardwired to need other people. People don't just need God. People need God and people need people. need both. Only God brings forgiveness, absolutely. But in this life, we are built to need people. You know, if a Christian is on their own, not in community, that isn't a good thing. We don't sit back and think, it's okay, they've got God. That's passive. That's easy. You know, we don't do that. If a Christian is out on their own, we have to think, they need people. They might need me. Someone needs to fill that need. On a church, on a Sunday, if someone's sitting on their own, we can't sit back and say, it's okay, they've got God, hallelujah. It is good they've got God if they have that relationship with God. But they need more than that. That's why we have church. Because people are designed to need people. It's in our creation. 
you know, I go on lots of courses with work. I'm a teacher. And, you know, the dreaded turn up to a course. You know, if any of you, a lot of you will do this, go to a course. And, you know, and it's all a bit of a waiting game to see who's going to, you know, who's going to speak first. You know, the people are on their phones, you know, pretending they've got friends, you know, all that kind of stuff, you know. It's all right, I've got friends, you know, I just on my phone, you know, so I don't need it. But really, I'm, I'm, I go in there and I'm a bit, I'm actually, I, get to, I don't get my phone out on these courses now. So I'll sit there and i and actually what I want is I just want someone to say, hi, how are you doing, what's your name, you know. I don't like sitting there on my own on a table with people who are just on their phones. It's kind of a bit annoying, actually. So I'll sit there now in this course, and I'll be like, hi, I'm Adam, nice to meet you. And then usually they're like, oh, hi, I'm Mary, nice to meet you. It's not Mary, it's just in my head, but anyway. Nice, Mary, nice to meet you. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, you good? Yeah, great, excellent, how's school going? And then we're in conversation, you know? And then the person on their phone is like, sitting over here, now I'm playing the double game here, because now I know this, this guy now is thinking, oh, and now I'm looking rude on my phone. So and then the, usually the, the guy puts the phone down, it might be a girl, you know, all that kind of stuff. A guy put, a girl puts his phone down, and like, he wants in on the action now. And like, Hello, what's your name? You know, I'm Jeff. Hello, Jeff. You know, we're built that way. We're not built to be alone, even with God. I love God. God is everything to me. I'm not built just to sit in a room with God. It's in my DNA to need people. It's in your DNA to need people. Absolutely. And if a Christian is isolated, that is not good in any way. Sometimes it's a defense mechanism. I'm better on my own. No, you're not better on your own. Okay, that's, often that's a protective thing. I've used that myself sometimes. No, I'm better. I'm better on my own. I'll be I'm better. And sometimes you need time out. That's different. No one is better on their own. You look at prisons. What's the highest form of punishment in a prison? I've never been to prison, but this is what I hear. What is the highest form of punishment in a prison? Isolation. Isolation. Isolation is the highest form of punishment in the punishment system that we have. Isolation. We are designed to need people. You need people. We need people. Mary and Elizabeth, we're going to need people. I mean, who could have understood? Who would have believed them? Have you ever thought about this? Elizabeth has conceived at a very old age. Okay, that one I buy. Mary, I'm pregnant. Who's the father? God. We have hindsight. We have hindsight. We can look back and think, oh, she's pregnant with God. Hallelujah. You know, Jesus. Jesus is coming. He's going to die on the cross. We have, we have the wonderful gift of hindsight. You know? If one of my friends came to me and I said, oh, he said, oh I'm pregnant. Oh, congratulations. Who's the father? God. <laughs> All right, mate. <laughs> Don't know if I believe you. I mean, who would have believed Mary? You know, God's been quiet for 400 years. You've got to remember that. Who would have believed Mary? Mary knows this is the Messiah. She goes, oh, what am I going to say that to? She can't share of the excitement in her, in her baby. I've had three children. My wife loved sharing, being pregnant with other people that were pregnant and all people have got kids. It was part of the excitement of being pregnant and all that kind of stuff. You know, it's fine, you know. They talk about pregnant stuff, like what nappies they were going to buy, muconium or whatever it is, and all this kind of stuff. I don't know what it is. But they shared in each other. Mary, Mary wouldn't have had any of that. What would Mary have felt? She'd have felt 
confusion, delight, fear, worry, excitement, apprehension. She is with child of the Lord God. How does she share that with someone? She shares it with someone who is in a very similar situation. Look at the grace of God there. Like, you ain't going to be alone, Mary. I've got a family member. We've sorted that one out as well. So Mary's, or Elizabeth's pregnant. Woman, cousin's barren. All of a sudden, she's got someone. And Elizabeth's got someone. It's profound. It's remarkable. The grace of God in that encounter. It's almost like he planned it, isn't it? Hey? It's almost like all those years when Elizabeth wasn't pregnant, it almost like he knew what he was doing. Like he was God, you know? Funny that. You imagine when these two encounter. You know, Elizabeth, Mary, I'm pregnant. You know, after all these years I'm pregnant, I'm going to have a baby. This angel's just come to I'm scared at first. Zechariah, he's gone a bit quiet. I think he's just adjusting to this time. You know, I think he's just coming round to it. And then Mary, Elizabeth, I'm pregnant too. This one's strange. See, me and Joseph, we haven't, we didn't, but I'm pregnant. And I'm pretty sure God's the father. And I'm now proper fretting about how do I bring up the son of God. I don't want to get that one wrong. God cares for these two women in the most profound, remarkable way. Brings them together. He is with both of them. God is with Mary. God is with Elizabeth. They know the blessing of God in the provision of these children. We know Elizabeth loves God. Mary loves God. But God says you need more because this is how you're designed. You're designed to need each other. And as if to confirm this intentionality of this relationship between Elizabeth and Mary, we see on their meeting this wonderful picture of both of these children leaping in the womb. This excitement. We're joined. Now, John and Jesus were joined quite profoundly. This picture of Mary and Elizabeth is the same picture that God wants for us. You know? That we be joined in community, in brotherhood and sisterhood with each other. People need people as well as God. My second point then, if people need people then the flip side of that coin is that, therefore, it must go to say that people need you. Now, this is not me just trying to be all sentimental. This is biblical truth. If people need people, that means that people need you, you personally. You know? There are people that need Dan Martin. And there are people, you're welcome, Dan, nice to see you, and there are people that need Andrew Gibbons. They're in my eyesight. I definitely know their names, so I'm not going to embarrass myself. People need those people. They do. People need Catherine Green. Like They need her. Tim needs Catherine Green, don't you, Tim? Absolutely. I need my wife. Oh, my good grief, do I need my wife. You know? My life would be a mess. I'd have no hair wax. I'd be an emotional wreck. It would just be a nightmare. My child, Molly. People need Molly. People need Elijah. People need you because people need people. 
So there's a generic people need people, but there is a personal people need people. Jeremiah says this. That's in the Bible. Not, there's not a person, Jeremiah. It was a person. It says this in Jeremiah 29. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. So we have plans and purposes over our life. We hear that very often in church. It's a good verse. The danger is that we can, and not all of us do this, but we can do it, we can interpret that through a kind of Western's film, a Western, uh, whatever you want to call it, with our kind of Western culture. And that was, okay, plans and purposes to prosper us. That word prosper is not helpful, actually, but I'm not criticizing the Bible. It's a wonderful book. But to prosper us, we can interpret that as, okay, so God wants to prosper me. Possessions, health, finance. God wants to prosper me. Now, absolutely, God can prosper you in all those things. I'm not saying he can't. I'm not saying he doesn't. I'm not saying he doesn't want to. That's not what I'm pointing. But it's more than that. It's really important, again, to almost take this kind of Western culture of individualism out of this. And actually, what are, when we're talking about the plans and purposes over our life, what is God talking about? Many of the plans and purposes over our lives involve how people will need us. Our plans and purposes in our lives are inextricably linked with people, not with gaining That can be part of it. I'm not saying it isn't. But it is not just that. Your plans and purposes over your life, a huge part of that will involve your involvement with other people. People need people. People need you. The plans and purposes over your life involve the people in and around you. There's no doubt about that. It was the same with Jesus. and uh, For Elizabeth and Mary, start there. Their plans and purposes were clear. They were going to be the mother of these two children. Their plans and purposes were to love unconditionally, to provide, to encourage, to reprimand. No, not Jesus. There was no naughty step for Jesus. To be a mother. These women were needed. These children needed these women. Their, Mary's and Elizabeth's plans and purposes over their lives were inextricably linked with John and Jesus. And it's the same with Jesus and John. People needed them. Before, you know, before each of these children were born, there were what's called prophecies. Those of you who don't know what that means, is in, before these children had been born, people, God had spoken to other people about what these children would be like. And the prophecies over these children's lives often were all about what they would do for others. Let's look at John the Baptist. So Luke 1 says this, And he will turn many Israelites to their, to their Lord, their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He will prepare the, for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of of the godly. And then Jesus, in the book of Isaiah, which is the Old Testament, says, but he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. The plans and purposes over Jesus' and John's life were very much about how they were going to serve others, how they were going to care for others. 
it wasn't necessarily about their personal gain. It's not there. It was about their create. They were Jesus wasn't created, but their purposes were for others, and it's the same for us. Our plans and purposes are for others as well as ourselves. For both of these children, their inherent value, their greatness was unquestioned. In the same way that our inherent value is unquestioned. You know, your value is profound. You know, God sent his son to die for you personally on the cross. That's how, that's how valuable you are. You couldn't have, you may not feel this as you're sitting here today, but feeling and truth are two very, very different things. The truth is you couldn't be any more valuable. You couldn't be of any more value whatsoever. Because Christ died for you. Your value is unquestionable. But when it comes to but how they served others was a huge part of their purposes. Let's look at the life of John. So John would be the first prophet speaking to speak about God after a time span of 400 years of quiet. People needed that. John called people to repent, to encourage them to say sorry and make decisions in their life which would honour God. People needed that. He would baptise Jesus. Jesus wanted that. He would stand up against an, present, an, an oppressive governmental ruler even when it was going to cost him his head, and it did. Jesus, he cared for and gave a voice to the vulnerable and the poor. He challenged those with money to use it well, encouraging them to use it for the good of the kingdom. He'd heal the sick and even those that society had forgotten about. He'd pray for others. And ultimately, Jesus lived a life of perfection so that he could go to the cross to face the punishment for all sin, to rise again three days later, so that anyone from that day on to this day now can, can know forgiveness and belonging as part of a Christian fellowship. This is key things from Jesus' and John's life, and it's all about what they did for others. None of it was for personal gain. It was because it was who they were created to be. This is who they were. They were hardwired, like we are hardwired, to need people and for people to need them. Both of these children, when they were men, would lose their lives in the most horrific way possible. What they did didn't mean they got something out of it for themselves personally. Their lives were for others in the same way that our lives are for others. People need people. People need you. Your lives, you are created to serve others. Huge part of who we are. You know, who needs you right now? Like genuinely, that is a really important question. Like who needs you right now? Your family needs you. Husbands, your wives need you to love them like Jesus loved his people, putting only God before them. Wives, your husbands need your love, your respect, your understanding and your patience. Fathers and mothers, your children need them to lead them gently with kindness, compassion, patience, with love and warmth. 
grandparents in the room. When I was preparing this, I felt stirred to just say this. Grandparents in the room, everybody needs you. Everybody. Sometimes, and I know this from experience, sometimes, not from my own personal experience, I'm not a grandparent, but I've spoken to others who said actually when, when my children have got married and have left and they've had children, I've felt a bit redundant. The truth is that you're still a mother and a grandparent. Like everybody needs you. Everybody needs you. You know, sometimes you can take too much of a step back and think, oh, I just need to let them be. Well, yeah, absolutely, they've left. But at the same time, they still need you. Your sons and daughters still need their mum or their dad. And your grandchildren need a grandparent. You're needed. Children, if you're under 18, I'm talking to you here. You bring so much joy to your family. That is the truth. Your family needs your obedience and patience and your love. I'm going to say it again, children. If you could all look this way, that would be wonderful. If you're under 18, look this way. You bring joy to your family. My children bring joy to my family that my wife cannot replicate and that I cannot replicate. That is the truth. Even when my children are being a right pain, they bring a joy to my family that no one else can bring. Children, you bring a joy to your family that you won't really understand probably until one day when you may have children. But the joy in your family really can be dependent on your obedience. A child that is constantly going against their parents, actually that that puts pressure on their parents. That makes it hard for their parents. Like if you're under 18 today, know two things. First thing, that you are loved so much and of such value and bring so much joy that actually you are needed in your family. There's a responsibility for obedience and patience and kindness with your family as well. That's the role that you play. Your friends in your church need you. They need us to encourage. They need to encourage us, have time for us, advise us, correct us. Play games with us, share family with us, watch trashy TV with us, share our lives with us, pray with us, grieve with us. Everybody is needed. You might be sitting there today saying, oh, no one needs me. Okay, firstly, biblically, that's completely untrue. So you might, I'm not saying you're not feeling that, but it isn't true. Because even on a very important level, as a church, we need you. This church is richer when you are with us, part of us. I love this church. This year in this church has been amazing. We've loved it as a family. But our church is richer when more added to us. Not because we're a bigger number. Couldn't care less about a bigger number on that level. But because others have been added to us and their plans and purposes are then joined with our plans and purposes. We need you. Sitting here today... No one needs me. No, we do. We absolutely do need you. And finally, I'll finish with this. Mary's response to Mary's response to this child is one of heartfelt thankfulness to God. Mary's response, often referred to as the Magnificat, is an opera of joy. Her thankfulness to God was made this possible. 
a God who made the impossible possible. But let us not lose sight of Elizabeth's role in this. See, when Mary goes to Elizabeth and they share what's going on, and you imagine all those feelings that Mary's feeling, Elizabeth, in her wisdom and in her godliness, directs the conversation heavenward. She brings the heavenly perspective into the most unusual of situations. It says this, Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honoured that the mother of my Lord should visit me? When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. So Elizabeth, in this friendship, encouragement, people needing people level, then takes this situation and points it heavenward. So this is, this is God. This is remarkable. This is profound. She exalts the greatness of God. This is what Elizabeth does. She makes a declaration that Mary is the most blessed woman that has ever been. She makes a declaration that her child is blessed and then Elizabeth encourages Mary's faith. Mary needed Elizabeth at that point. She brought a heavenly clarity and perspective that was crucial to Mary's response. So let us be thankful for the provisions of God. Let us be thankful for the provisions of God right now while we have them. Our salvation, which we will always have. Our friends, our family, our health, our safety. Let us, like Mary, genuinely acknowledge all that we have and what that we do have is only because he made it possible. For some of us in this room, we don't have all those things. You may not have your health right now. You may not have family right now. But let us acknowledge that that we do have. We're not going to have... We're not, there might be seasons in our life where we have everything that we think we want. But there will definitely be seasons in, the, in our life when we don't. One day I will get sick. That is the reality of life unless Christ comes again. One day I will get sick. I might get old. You know, unless something happens before that. That's why I say might, otherwise I will get old. And I will die. There will be times in my life where I do not have the things that I have now. Some of my friends might go before me. So I am thankful right now for my health. And I am thankful right now for, for, for my friends. And I am thankful right now for my family. There are things that I don't have right now. That's okay. I'm thankful for the things that I do have. And what do you think about what you do have? Let's be thankful for those. Friends, let, us, let this story remind us that our God is a God of the impossible. From bringing these two children into the world in miraculous circumstances, bringing these two women together for all the purposes we have talked about, our God is still the God of the impossible today. So let us be thankful once again that this is the God that we call Father and let it inspire us to pray for others. And friends, let, it be like, let us be like Mary and Elizabeth. Let us remind people that we need people and people need us. Let us be those that have time for each other, encourage each other, bring heavenly perspectives in events that might need it. Let us continue to be a church which loves their God and declares the greatness of God to those who don't yet know, knowing that God can and will use that to see others come to know him as father and friend. Shall we stand?
So I encourage you, I'm going to kind of one more minute. I just want to encourage you just to focus on God. You might want to close your eyes. You might, it doesn't matter. Whatever it looks, whatever that looks like to you. Just where I just want you to almost just acknowledge those things in your life that you are thankful for. Don't need to hear it, just God hears it. Think about the people in your life that you are thankful for, that God has provided you with. Might be a mum, a dad, a gran, granddad. Might be a, a friend, a mentor. Might be a son, a daughter. Just where you are, just encourage you, just, just offer your thanks that God has provided those in your life. And now right where you are, just almost just reflect on that question of who needs you right now. The Holy Spirit might be just pinpointing people that just need you right now. Husbands, wives, sons, daughters, absolutely. What about friends that you just think, oh, I think they need a friend right now? Might be a family member you think, I think they just need calling or visiting. Or Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for your wonderful creation, your wonderful design. We thank you that you love us in a most profound way. We thank you, Lord, that you are with us always. You never leave us. But we thank you as well that we were designed designed to need other people. And we thank you, Lord, for those that are in our lives that you provided. And we say, Lord, use us to bless others. Use us to enrich other people's lives. Use us to encourage to be a blessing, Lord. And I pray for us as the church, Lord. Continue to add brothers and sisters to us. Continue to help them feel loved and cared for in this church. We pray for many that come to us, Lord. Would they know the love of Christ, both through the Holy Spirit, as Jesus revealed, and as through us, our actions as people and Christians, alongside them. Let us know love and belonging they may never have known before. We thank you for who you are. We acknowledge the centrality of Christ this Christmas. Say, Lord, be glorified, be lifted up in all that we do. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Great. Have a Merry Christmas, all that kind of stuff. Bless you all. You've been listening to a Woodside Church podcast. For more information, visit woodsidechurch.com.